welcome in to episode 24 of Canucks Speakeasy. My name is Doug. And I'm Pete. Doug, we can't escape the number 24 these days. No, it's kind of eerie, isn't it? Uh, who's uh, who's the best 24 for the Canucks then? I mean, the first and the only one I can honestly think of off the top of my head, and it's just probably because he's probably the most recent, would be Matt Cook. Yeah, I mean, really, I can't think of that many others. I think Scott Walker was in there, and uh, yeah. I think... I think Reed Boucher has worn it when he's come up with the big club. Reed Boucher as well. Any other notable Canucks? Uh, according to the internet, a few that kind of jump out at me. Tom Curvers, Yuri Slager. Slager, okay. Kurt yeah. Fraser, Michelle Petit uh, when he was with her. Gary Monahan. Uh, but it hasn't really been used a lot since the Matt Cook era. And Cook wore it for nine plus seasons. Wow, nine years Cook played for the Canucks. Mm-hmm. Uh, that kind of blows me away. Oh, and Rafael Diaz. Oof, Yes. Great, great pickup. But didn't Rafael Diaz turn into the Adam Gaudet pick? Yeah, I think so. He was traded to for a fifth, if I remember. Yeah, I believe so. And I think that was, uh, geez, I can't even remember. Was that from Montreal or two months? No, no, we, we got, him, got from him from Montreal, Montreal. And I think we traded that him to the Rangers, I believe. Yeah, yeah, I think that sounds about right. I think it was actually one of the last trades Mike Gillis pulled off. Um, but yeah, man, uh, here we are. Uh, how was your week, Pete? It's been busy, but uh, it's been a fun week for the Canucks as well. Uh, before we get into all that, we should mention that we have Leaf Rolin joining us on this episode. Yeah, it should be interesting uh, and fun. I'm looking forward to the conversation. We would have had Mike Reed as well, but it sounds like Mike Reed got into a bit of a fender bender today. So we are going to have one guest only. Yeah, Mike, I hope you're okay. And uh, we'll definitely have to reschedule. Also, you can find us at Canuck Speak. You can find me at Pete underscore gas. Uh, give me a follow at Doug Venn. And as always, check out our Spotify playlist. It's an ever-growing playlist of all the outro tracks we use on each episode. So uh, give that a follow. It's Canuck Speakeasy. Uh, yeah. So since we last recorded, Canucks have played three games, including the dreaded afternoon East Coast matinees. Uh, we've gone 2-0-1 in those three games, beating the Sharks and the Islanders in overtime and then losing to the Canes in overtime. What do you think of the games? Did you get to catch much of that? Uh, I did. I, I missed the f- first half of the Sharks game, but it seems like the second half was the half you probably wanted to watch. Well, really, the third period there, that was they they owned them. It just that was that was nice to see. And I tweeted about this was that good teams find a way to win those games. You put it on in the third, you just you come out, you win the game, you come out knowing you want to win. And the Sharks are a team that has done that to us a lot in the past, and now we flip the script. Yeah, it's nice to see the Canucks are beating teams that they should beat. Uh, the Sharks are probably one of the most disappointing teams in the league. I also think they're one of the oldest teams in the league, uh, top to bottom. They've uh, got to be the most disappointing. I don't know who could be higher than that. Yeah, I mean, I know some people are saying Vegas is a little bit, you know, uh, sputtering this year. The Leafs, who obviously took a big hit today with a lot with a injury, uh, they're, you know, probably disappointing to a lot of people. I believe they're actually still on the outside looking in for a playoff spot. They're they're a bubble team for sure. Uh, the Sharks as well. Let's not forget, they don't have a first round pick. That belongs to the Ottawa Senators. I mean, there's a chance that Ottawa potentially could have two top five picks. And I know they took a lot of criticism for the Matt Duchesne trade and giving up their first pick last year, which ended up... Or, that pick that went to Colorado la- uh, last year's draft, which turned into Bo and Byram. But, I mean, it looks like the Senators are going to be able to restock their cupboard rather quickly here. And then, yeah, going back to the Canucks, uh, I definitely thought getting three points in a back-to-back matinee game, especially two games on Eastern time, uh, was great. Y- you know, obviously it would have been nice to get that extra point against the Hurricanes. But you got to be really happy and satisfied for the Canucks to come away with three points. Uh, losing in a shootout, we all know the skills competition. And I got to say, Shorty jinxed it as going in on that second <laughs> shot. He's talking about how Demko had stopped 7-7, seven of seven, and then what happens? He hasn't stopped one since. So I blame Shorty for losing the extra point there. Uh, Demko, all of a sudden, three of the last four starts for the Canucks. Uh, sorry, three of the last five. And uh, Markey has only had two starts since January 16th. Yeah, I mean, I think the Canucks are trying to strategically give Markey a little bit of rest. Obviously, uh, you know, with him getting the nod to the All-Star game, uh, look, it's an exhibition game. But still, you know, it's the whole song and dance. And I'm sure he was very honored to be able to partake in his first All-Star game. But I think they're trying to rest him for down the stretch and give 
Demko a few more games here. Uh, I know there's some interesting tidbits about the Canucks and Markey uh, potentially talking contract. I guess we can get into that a little bit later. Uh, and yeah, and obviously, you know, the Carolina game, even though we lost in, in the shootout, I thought that was a really good game. It was very entertaining. You got two teams with some really good young players. I mean, Aho and Tara Vinen and Svechnikov, you know, every time they were playing, it seemed like they were on the ice. It was pretty crazy to me. Uh, and then obviously you, I, I, Carolina always surprises me. Their defensive core, they just have these guys like Jacob Slavin who blocked Pesci. that shot. Pesci as well, right? Like they got these guys who I'm just always so kind of shocked about. Carolina is uh, very much an underrated team. And well, we saw it in the playoffs last year as well. They 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 have an incredibly young, skilled offense. A lot of the what they have reminds me of the Canucks. They don't have that blue chip defenseman. That's what they're missing. They have a defense by committee, but they have a very young blue line. Uh, I thought the game was was pretty entertaining. I, again, the Canucks, by that point, they were pretty gassed. You could see it that last game. They were pretty tired in the third period, but they still, they scraped out a point, regardless of how these last two games go. And they got a tough two coming up here with Boston and then Minnesota. Boston will be tough. Uh, is They're going to be guaranteed 500 on this road trip. So this road trip is already considered a success. I want to see them put the pedal to the metal though against the Bruins last time the Canucks played the Bruins in Boston I was at that game and the Canucks won eight to five and Tuka Rask took a break from the team afterwards oh I remember so that actually. that was that was a hell of a lot of fun and I survived Boston in my Canucks jersey after that <laughs> with uh, minimal heckling and uh, it was it was a hell of a fun night uh speaking of franchise defensemen uh Quinn Hughes on Saturday man like I know people are calling it like the Quinn Hughes game uh just Unbelievable. I mean, obviously, I'm sure most Canucks fans woke up early Saturday morning, you know, made their breakfast, had their morning cup of joe, and then uh, proceeded to turn on the Canuck game. And just to see what Hughes is doing is just, it's pretty, pretty, pretty remarkable. It's just so nice to actually have this sort of defenseman. We've never had this. I know all Vancouver is saying the same thing with that, but he is getting better. And he had four goals in a four-game stretch, so he had two goals in the game against the Islanders. He is now, since we've recorded, I always like to pull up since we last recorded who our leading scorer is. Last time it was Jake for 10, and if we're in between episodes, and this time it's Quinn Hughes. He has five points over his last three games, including three goals in there, averaging a ton of ice time. I believe he leads the team over that stretch. And he's just, the way he's scoring as well, and the way he's moving, that, that overtime goal, he cuts in, comes all the way back, and just shoots it. He's shooting the puck more as well. That's that's worth noting is he's actually shooting the puck. And he wasn't really doing that a lot. He's not really a big bomber from the point, but he's got a shot and he's got a pretty accurate shot and it hits the net. And that's really what you want from if you have a guy in the high slot and you're kind of going that umbrella formation, you got to get the shot on net. That's the most important thing. You can't have these things where you're just whipping it around and it goes out around the boards and back down the other way. Yeah, I, the one, like Hughes, the way he skates laterally, and he's, so it, that overtime goal was a perfect example. He's skating laterally, and he shoots the puck kind of on the opposite, you know, in the same direction that he's skating, but it's just, it's so deceptive, and obviously, you know, I believe he was quoted after the game as saying like he couldn't even see the goalie. He just took the shot because he figured, well, I can't see the goalie. I don't think the goalie can see me, and hopefully it has eyes and makes it in the net, which it did. Uh, interesting. I know you're the numbers guy on the podcast, Pete, but I pulled up some numbers with Quinn Hughes, what? which is pretty remarkable. You don't even need me anymore. No, 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 no. <laughs> so right now, uh, he's 53rd all-time for rookie scoring defenseman with 39 points in 52 games. Okay. Which, so, you know, 53, the Bor Horvat thing, that's pretty cool. He's got 39 points in 52 games. Now, he's projected, and again, who knows, but right now he's projected to finish with roughly 60 points for the year. So if he finishes the year with 60 points, he will be in the top 10 all-time rookie scoring defenseman. The wow. last rookie defenseman to score 60 points in a season as a rookie was 1991-92. Sergey Zuboff? Nicholas Lidstrom. Oh. Close. Uh, Nick Lidstrom's the last uh, rookie defenseman to score 60 points in a season in his rookie wow. year. Obviously, Kale McCarr is only a couple points behind, and he's I think he's played nine less games than uh, uh, Quinn Hughes has. So he's got a very good chance as well. Um, but that's pretty remarkable that, you know, we're almost, what is it, 19 years 
from the last time a, a, def, a rookie defenseman scored uh, 60 points. I, I remember another guy, another Canuck, Tyler Myers. I remember Tyler Myers' rookie year. He won the Calder Trophy. He had a great year. He played all 82 games. He had 48 points his rookie year. And I remember people were speechless that he had 48 points his rookie year, you know. Uh, I forget who he beat out that year. It was the 2009-2010 season. I know there was someone else that year. Maybe it was Tarasenko. I'm not sure. But anyways... He was his only nine points off of that mark at, at the moment of tying Tyler Myers's and Tyler Myers is 20th all time for rookie scoring defenseman. So anyways, mm-hmm. I, that's my uh, my contribution to this week's uh, w- week's podcast. So uh, right, I'll see you myself can, you out. You can go home now, Doug. Thank you. you go home. I'll, I'll, I guess me and Leaf will do the, the rest of the episode now. <laughs> Thanks for that, Doug. I also want to just say though, with Hughes and McCarr, this is really, I mean, I'm not going to say it's as big as Ovechkin, Crosby, but it is when you have two guys who come into the league now, it, it has that effect. These two guys are forever intertwined. And when you look at how McCarr and Hughes both kind of came up last year and and dazzled and everyone was enamored with Kale McCarr, and Kale McCarr is a fantastic player. So for, if, if nothing else, it's just nice to have Quinn Hughes mentioned in the same breath as Kale McCarr. And I'm sure Kale McCarr and the Colorado fans are saying the same thing about Quinn Hughes. And this is our kind of rookie rivalry now. These two guys are going to be forever intertwined playing like this. And it's also interesting that already Quinn Hughes has become the more prominent Hughes brother. And I'm not saying that Jack's a dud, but he's off to a slower start in his career. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I... I... I, I, I'm trying to think of the. I think Eric Johnson was the last first overall pick that actually got sent back down and didn't start uh, that year in the NHL. Uh, I don't. Doesn't look like Jack Hughes is ready for the NHL. I think he could have used a, either a year of college. I think he would have been too. He's too old to play for the U18 team or the national whatever team he was playing for last year. I believe he's too old for that. It looks like he could have used that extra year in college, and I think it was actually good. I know there was a lot of scuttlebutt at the beginning of last year for Hughes to kind of, or yeah, the beginning of last year after Hughes was drafted for him to start with the Canucks, but it looks like it was probably the right move for him to go back to college for that one year. And I do got to give credit early on in Benning's tenure, they did seem to kind of rush some of the rookies into the lineup, uh, you know, a la Jake Vertanen and Jared McCann. And I think it was just because at that time the Canucks had no depth, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of their players, uh, that they had on the team, like the Sedins and Burroughs was still part of the team at that time, didn't have a lot of value f- for trading and they didn't have a great cupboard of prospects coming. There was a big gap in the prospect pool there. Um, and they seem to have been a lot more patient with uh, their prospects the last couple of years. Petey spent that year in Sweden. Obviously, Hughes went back to college. Besser did two years in college. And yeah, it really seems to be paying off for this team. And that's the difference between the Gillis and the Benning regime right there. Well, one of the, one of the differences though is that the Canucks didn't have a lot of picks. They really needed their first rounders to jump in. I mean, even Bo Horvat was kind of pushed in when he came in. And there was a lot of people saying that he could have gone back and played another year in junior. But also with the uh, the NCAA and using that as a pipeline, both McCarr and Hughes are NCAA products. And so is Jack Hughes actually as well. But the Canucks have a bunch of guys, Will Lockwood, Jack Rathbone, Aiden McDonough, uh, Tyler Madden. They've got some guys over still playing in NCAA right now who are improving every year and look to be legit NHL prospects. All those players do right now. Yeah, and uh, there was actually the Beanpot game today uh, yeah. between uh, Northeastern and Harvard. Yeah. I believe Northeastern did end up ahead. They won 3-1, to one. yep. Uh, Jeff Patterson was on TSN today because I guess he was being out east. He decided to go and attend that game, and he said that, honestly, out of all the players, he thought Jack Rathbone was the most noticeable. He had a really good game from uh, the clips that I saw. He uh, he had a very solid game, so that's that's really nice to see. I've you know as you know, I've I've long been a Jack Rathbone fan, uh, ever since they drafted him out of high school in Massachusetts, and I think he has a real shot of being an NHL player. Yeah, he's one prospect I am a little bit worried about the Canucks being able to sign. I, and I just with the personal, you know, things he's going through with his brother and probably wanting to be close to home. He's one guy that, uh, yeah, I'm a little bit worried about. But, uh, you know, it'll Maybe. be interesting. But there have been other guys. Uh, the Canucks draft in that corner of the world pretty well. Yeah. And there are definite NCAA. There's American ties on the Canucks. Uh, I don't know. I, I like to think that he's uh, he's going to take the road to the NHL the best way he can. And that would involve the Vancouver Canucks so whenever he decides to play I know Will Lockwood is another guy to watch right now and see what he kind of decides but there's a lot of guys in the Canucks system 
right now in the NCAA. And I think it's, it's a great way to develop players. And uh, I think maybe Jack Hughes, you're right, should have spent another year down there. But Quinn Hughes and Kale McCarr, certainly ready. Um, JT Miller, third star of the week. He had seven points in four games. That was a nice kind of surprise. Yeah, it was. I was kind of blown away. I'm like, well, he had seven points in four games and he's only the third star of the week. So uh, obviously it was a big week for a few different players, but uh, JT Miller, like I, there was actually an interview last week, I believe with Jake Vertanen where Vertanen said, he's like, you know what? Miller's been really good for me. And Miller, you know, kind of pulled me aside and said, you remind me of myself when I was younger, if the guy who's got all the physical tools, but you just kind of got to put it all together. And I think he's been a bit of a mentor to guys like Vertanen. And, you know, I'm sure he's really good in the dressing room as well. And again, JT Miller's only 26. Yeah. And on a great cap hit as well. Yeah. Like he signed for, I believe three more years. Uh, yeah. Three more at like 5.25 or something. I believe it is. And look again, obviously no one loves giving up first round picks, but it's hard to say that right now that isn't a big win for Benning and this team. And he, you know, there was a, there was a, again, I'm not trying to poach content from, uh, from the radio, but there was actually a good conversation today where someone was asked, who do you think has been more valuable to the Canucks this year? Is it JT Miller or has it been Quinn Hughes? And I believe it was Ray Ferraro. He said he thinks JT Miller has been more valuable in the sense that he's kind of brought a mentality and a work ethic to some of these young guys a la Jake Vertanen, uh, that they kind of needed a guy like that to give him a kick in the ass. You look at the production from those two guys this year, and essentially, if you remove the five games that Quinn Hughes played last year, they're new additions to the team this year. Yep. And what they have done is you've all of a sudden you've brought in that top six winger and that top pairing blue liner that we've all said we needed, and it's completely changed the complexion of the team. And I, I think that Miller as well, he's sitting on the plane with Vertanen. He's really trying to mentor the guy, and it's it's notable. I mean, Vertanen has now tied his career-high in goals. He's got 15. I mean, I said at the start of the year, if we can get 20 goals out of Jake Vertanen this year, that would be a huge boost, and we are starting to knock on that door right now. Yeah, and I believe the Canucks are now nine points up on the wild card spot. Wow. So, you know, obviously every point still counts, and this league is a parity league at the moment, and, you know, going on a losing streak could, you know, make or break uh, the Canucks playoff chances. But right now, the Canucks are looking good. And, you know, knock on wood, as long as they can stay healthy and they've been relatively healthy, I think this team's got a very good shot at making the playoffs. And I know a lot of people are talking about Chris Tanev. Chris Tanev has played every single game this year. Yeah. Who would have thought? We're 52 games, 53 games in. Well, there's the jinx. Yeah. And Tanner's played every game. And I think a lot of people are saying a lot of that has to do with Quinn Hughes. He doesn't have to carry the puck as much or dump the puck as much. Right. And so having a guy like Hughes can who can pick up the puck and kind of play that possession game. So Tanev is able to kind of, you know, jump in the play when he needs to. And I believe Tanev's actually already broken his career high in points as well. I know it's a contract year. So, you know, there's always that kind of eye roll of guys, you know, putting up godly numbers in the contract seasons. I don't think that's the case with Tanev. But right now, Tanev, I mean, he's playing really well. And I think a lot of people are saying, you know, Quinn Hughes could add another three, four years to his career. And he's also proven to be an extremely valuable player. I think he's gotten better as the season's gone on. Uh, Also, just going back to Miller and Hughes, they've combined for 92 points so far this year. And that's, uh, that's pretty incredible as well. But yes, uh, I am a big Chris Tanev fan and, I don't want to hear any talk about the Canucks trading him at the deadline. I mean, if he does walk at the end of the year, he does. But you've got to keep Chris Tanev for this stretch. This well, is what Chris Tanev is built for. I Look, I've been a guy in the past couple of years who was part of the trade Tanev club. Yeah, me uh, too. I'm handing in my card. You know what? My card is, I'm handing in my card. I'm no longer on that train. Uh, I'm on the keep Tanev club. Um, and yeah, I would like to see the Canucks if they're able to sign Tanev and I don't know if he's willing to take a hometown discount. Um, maybe he can sign a deal like his brother did a six year deal for whatever Brandon signed. I think it was a seven year 3.5 per that Brandon Tanev signed. Yeah, it's weird. Again, Brandon Tanev's a good player. I like him. It's a good deal, I think, for Pittsburgh. For sure. But usually players of his ilk don't sign that long of a term. It was an unusual one. And that was one of the first contracts to be signed right out of the gate on, uh, 
uh, Canada Day last year. Another guy I just wanted to quickly bring up who is technically another addition to this team is Tanner Pearson as well. You know, he's a guy that, you know, we acquired him at the deadline. It was kind of like we're trading our problem for Pittsburgh's problem with the Gabranson uh, for Pearson deal. And he's another guy who's putting up great numbers this year. Top I, six. Absolutely, man. And, you know, you look, you're adding a guy like Hughes, a guy like Miller, and a guy like Pearson to this club. And we're seeing, you know, this team taking the right steps towards being a playoff team. Pearson is tied with Hughes for fifth on the team in scoring, 39 points. He's put up 15 goals. I know he's got a couple of empty netters in there, but it also shows that if you're scoring empty net goals, coach wants you to play in empty net situations as well. Uh, well, you're also winning games usually when you're burying those empty netters, which is important. Um, one other prospect just wanted to quickly touch on, Pod Colson, now five points in his last six games. And what are your thoughts on the Battle of Alberta so far? You know what? Like... That game on Saturday, I mean, you know, the old cliche, old time hockey. But I mean, who does not love a goalie fight? Everybody loves it. And you know what? As a Canucks fan, it's awesome. I want to see these two teams beat the shit out of each other. So, you know, they're not as prepared or they're a little bit worn down come playoff time if we end up matching up against an Edmonton or a Calgary. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. It's uh, it's fun to see the two teams below you in the, the standings trying to murder each other. That, that certainly helps the Canucks cause. Uh, I did a hit last week on the PP1 podcast, and they asked me a really good question, Pete. So I'm going to ask you, who would you rather play uh, in the first round, Edmonton or Calgary? Um... Edmonton, I think. I said the same thing. And I said, look, I sound like probably a crazy person to say I want to play the best player in the world. Um, But I definitely think in a seven-game series, I think Edmonton top to bottom has a lot more holes than Calgary does. Yeah. Calgary's got a better blue line, in my opinion. And I think Calgary's got um, a bit more of that mean streak um, than Edmonton has. I mean, Edmonton, to to be fair, with guys like Bear and Nurse and Cassian, they've done a real good job of upping their physical presence out there. Um, I do think, though, if you're able to throw their big two off their game there's not a lot after that that Edmonton can throw at you I think Calgary is uh, more built for the playoffs but honestly right now it's it's a bit of a coin toss I would I I think the Canucks would be very competitive and hold their own in a series against either team right now though if you can win the division you're probably not going to play either one of them in the first round no that's true um but yeah I said the same thing I thought it was interesting that you and I had the the same thought there. Great right. minds, buddy. All right. I guess you don't have to leave. You can stick around and <laughs> you need to stick around because it's time for some chirping before we get Lee Ferlene on the line here. So I got a few tweets for you, Doug, this week. Just curious to hear your thoughts on them. First one comes from Niels. You can find him at Hoglander, and that's with two R's. And he says, okay, but Hughes and Bufflin would be a hell of a pairing. Yeah, uh, my thing with Bufflin, I don't know if he actually wants to play hockey. Yeah, me neither. Like, it, it, it's one of those things you've heard stories. There was a story I remember, I believe it was when Chicago drafted him and they wanted, they had already picked him and they wanted to kind of, you know, make sure he was going to show up to the rookie camp and stuff like that. And apparently he was like avoiding their phone calls for like weeks on end before finally someone got a hold of him. And he said, okay, he'd go. Uh, I know Bufflin's an avid, you know, fisherman and an outdoorsman. Look, obviously a Hughes-Bufflin pairing would be great, but I just, I don't know if he's in it. You know what I mean? I don't know if he still wants to play. And honestly, I I, I would prefer Tanev. I, I think a Tanev-Hughes pairing is better right now than what a Bufflin would bring you. Well, don't mess up the chemistry. And I think uh, Bufflin, I think it's akin to what I was saying last week about Nikita Tramkin. I think we're kind of enamored with who Bufflin was and maybe who Tramkin was. And I don't know if either one of them is the same player right now. But if he had a Bufflin in his prime and a Hughes in his prime, holy moly, that would be one scary hell of a pairing. Oh, and again, like people always, and I, I, I mean, it was clipped everywhere last year in the playoffs with that Nashville series where Bufflin's literally just holding two Nashville guys with one hand while there's a big scrum going on, you know? So yeah. he brings that edge and that toughness that you want come playoffs. But if he's a guy that, you know, doesn't really have that passion for the game anymore, uh, where a guy like Tanev, he's, you know, he lives and breathes hockey, right? And he's got the chemistry with the team. Um, yes. Next one is from actually is uh, from our guest that we're going to have on next week, and it's Disco Stew. Ooh. And he says, when the cost for JT Miller turns out to be 22nd overall, I look forward to your I was wrong and here's why tweets. 
Uh, I actually saw this tweet, uh, and yeah, I mean, I can't agree with him more. Uh, right now, if and look, you can always hit like the Canucks got Besser, I believe it was 23rd overall. Um, Pasternak, I believe, was like 24th overall or 25th. He was picked, uh, so you can always hit really good you players can, late. You can hit anywhere, absolutely. But I agree. I mean, you can't right now tell me. And I know people are still trying to like die on that hill that this was a bad trade. I, I, you can't tell me it's a bad trade. You get a guy who is signed for the next three, four years at a cap friendly hit. Uh, you know, so the team has control over him. They don't have to worry about paying him in the next three, four years. And yeah, you gave up a first round pick. And you know, I've said it before. I thought it was a little bit of an overpayment just because of the team the Canucks were trading with. But I've come around, and I think Miller, and we spoke about it earlier, Miller's made a huge impact on this team, a bigger impact than I think most Canucks fans thought. Oh, 100%. I've always liked JT Miller. Um, I thought he would be a 50-point player with the Canucks and used in top six, and I thought it was an overpayment as well. However, you can't always get players as good as what JT Miller is being with a first-round pick. So the bar is set that that first-round pick has to be at least as good as what JT Miller is doing this year. And what we'd like to think will carry on for three more seasons. And there's no guarantee of that. And so I'm finally, for now, the Canucks have won this trade. You still have to see what that first rounder kind of turns out to be to really define it. And that takes time. But right now I'm saying Vancouver's won this trade. Yeah, I mean, I believe, I mean, you look at a guy who, you know, JT Miller kind of reminds me of as a Mark Stone. And right now, looking what, and I love Mark Stone, don't get me wrong. I was I was hoping the Canucks would kind of be able to get in on the Mark Stone there, but obviously we were priced out. But you look at what Mark Stone's getting paid and how long he signed for and what JT Miller's getting paid and what he signed for, who would you rather have on this team right now, Mark Stone or JT Miller? Well, I'd go with uh, JT Miller. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think the only player who's on a new team this year that has more points than JT Miller is... Artemi Panarin. Yeah, and he's got 70. Yeah, 72. Or wow. no, 70, you're right, sorry. So yes. He's got a lot in any case. Um, else, like Mark Stone, the $9.5 million cap hit and got 48 points. So you look at the the point to, point to dollar ratio, I guess is what I'm trying to say. The point to dollar ratio on that, again, favors the Canucks uh, and JT Miller. Yeah, I mean, the, the look, Miller's got 53 points, so they're comparable as far as like, you know, points wise for the most part but like you said yeah when you're looking at points to dollars bucks. it's huge yeah, that's a that's a big one um next one and uh this is this is reported in a few different places but um the one that caught our eyes was uh from daryl keeping you can find him at d keeping um and uh, so we're using his because i think he's a good follow out there and he goes canucks rumored to be offering a two-year deal to markstrom i'm here for offering him a couple extra million bucks on a shorter term thoughts question mark look and i in a in a perfect world sure you know you give markstrom eight million a year for two years i don't think markstrom is going to want to sign a two-year deal i think he's going to want some kind of security and he's going to want a long-term deal i think you know markstrom's 30 years old now um and a lot of goalies don't usually hit their prime until the late 20s early 30s anyways but you never know you know he could get injured you look at a perfect example is a guy like Corey schneider schneider's a person who uh um Obviously signed a big deal um, and then he got injured and, you know, luckily for him, he signed a long-term deal. So he's got that job security. But yeah, I think Markstrom's in a situation right now where, you know, he, this is his last chance to kind of cash in and he's going to want, you know, a mix of term and money. What say you, Pete? Uh, A two-year deal would make things interesting for Seattle um with with only one year left on a on a contract for a goalie who'd then be ufa i think you could do that and then protect demko and put him out there um i don't think markstrom would really like that either i think it's a a situation that favor the canucks but i I still think markstrom's probably going to end up on a four or five year deal in the five and a half range that's just kind of what my my gut's telling me right now yeah, I agree. I I do find it interesting, though. To me, this kind of shows that the Canucks still might think Demko is their goalie of the future. If He's they're, played well. He has played well. And I think if they're offering Markstrom a shorter-term deal at a you know higher cap hit or higher annual salary, to me, that shows me, at least I think, that they, this team might have a little bit more faith as Demko as their future goalie moving forward. But, uh, you know, obviously, this is probably just preliminary talks between the two sides uh who knows where this is going to end up but uh yeah i mean 
I would like that to happen, but I don't see Markstrom signing that deal. Last one is kind of a fun one today. It's from Vintage Canucks. You can follow them at Vintage Canucks. On this day in Canucks history, this is from yesterday, February 2nd, 1980, defenseman Harold Snepp scores his first goal of the season on a penalty shot, helping the Canucks defeat the Minnesota North Stars 5-4. to four. There's just so much I like in that tweet. There's just so much to it. That's awesome. Do you have a favorite Harold Snepp's memory? Um... Not really. He was a little bit before my time, like just a little bit. I know when I was a young kid, I always thought like him and Dave Babich were like brothers because they just look so much alike, even though obviously they don't have the same name. Uh, maybe it's just because they're bald dudes with mustaches. That's a big part of it when you're a kid. Uh, bald dudes with mustaches wearing a flying V. So, yeah. yeah. I know Snaps was, he was, he was kind of a bruiser out there. He was one of those old time defensemen that, you know, obviously cleared the front of the net. Uh, he is, you know, well regarded by, you know, that era of Canucks fans that got to see him play. They were, you know, he was one of their all time favorite Canucks at, of that era. Um, so, yeah, I don't really have a favorite moment. I know he also had a gaffe. I believe it was in the playoffs. He kind of scored on himself or he, he there was something I, I remember there was an error. He, he made some kind of error in, in a playoff game. I mean, I've, I've heard people talk about it, but, you know, it's nice to see that the guys like him who played essentially, I would go say, what, three generations ago as far as teams, right? You this had, is the 82 era, so exactly. really the first, the first cup era. Yeah, I mean, you had the Sedin era that's just past us. Then it was the West Coast Express. Then you had the kind of like... 94. Yeah, the 94, and then he was the era before that, yeah, right? And then before that was uh, the, the 70s. Yeah, which, you know, the Canucks were still just trying to find their way in the yeah. in the league. Yeah, getting killed That was also Wasn't time. that also the decade where the Canadians won eight of the 10 Stanley Cups. Yeah, they, I think they won five in a row and they alternated with Boston towards the end of the, the decade there in terms of wins. Um, yeah, that was, uh, that was the Canucks were getting killed a lot. But yeah, that tweet, Harold Snaps, Minnesota North Stars, penalty shot. His first goal of the season on a penalty shot in February. There's just so many things about that. Like, what the hell just happened? But you know, I it, love it. It's funny. When I think of the Minnesota North Stars, obviously you think of Mike Badano, but you know who's another guy I really think of is John Casey, the goalie. Oh, yeah. Well, I, he's, he was in the Hockey Night intro video for the longest time with Lemieux undressing him. And Lemieux is probably my all-time favorite player. Well, there, so There you go. Well, should we uh, get Leaf on the line here? Let's do it. All right. Joining us, our one guest for this week was supposed to be two, but Mike, we hope you're uh, doing better out there. We have Leaf Rolin. You can follow him at Leaf Rolin, almost like it's spelled. Leaf suited up for 96 games with the Canucks way back uh, in the mid-90s. Leaf, how you doing? I'm doing very well. How are you guys doing? Doing good, man. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, it's my pleasure. Yeah, thanks for coming on the podcast. Uh, Pete and I, we're always trying to get, you know, uh, people in the Canucks Twitterverse to come on, and, you know, that are more level-headed and uh, even-keeled, and you're definitely one of them. And, uh, yeah, looking forward to the conversation. Well, let's just uh, start at the beginning here. How did your Canucks fandom start? Oh, you know what? I was a little kid in the 82 run, and so, like, the TVs were everywhere. Like, it was everything was on, and so it just sort of became this, you know, thing where you were just aware of this cup run going on and my grandparents were watching it, you know, uh, religiously and that kind of stuff. And so, you know, by that time, you know, I'm already playing with my brother's hockey cards and that kind of stuff. And so just really just became a, a Canucks fan in the 82 run uh, and then was obviously, you know, um, just building, building, building all through like teenage years and that kind of stuff. And then uh, just been been going strong ever since. Uh, it's interesting. Uh, so I'm born in 1983. So that was a little, obviously before my era, but I am well versed in some of the players of that era. The one guy, and again, maybe you can shed some light on this. The one guy who the Canucks never really seem to kind of, you know, have any admiration for is Richard Brodeur. Uh, why is that? I, I find it strange. He's one of those guys who arguably, you know, if the Canucks won that playoffs, you know, the Stanley Cup that year, he probably would have been the Conn Smythe winner. Why has Richard Berdier kind of been forgotten by the club? Yeah, it's interesting, actually. Right, you never see him pop up at any of the events. He's not—he's uh, not front and center. Maybe um, I, I assume that maybe he just wants to take a, a bit of a—he uh, uh, doesn't want a public profile, that kind of thing. That's my guess. But no, it's true. I mean, the, the, you know, Vancouver was the quote-unquote goalie graveyard for the longest time, and he was 
like right up at the top of the list before Luongo came along. It was him and Kirk McLean uh, were the best goaltenders of the franchise had ever had, like over decades, right? So it's weird that um, he's still not put up there. And maybe it's just because he wasn't actually on the team for like a really long time. He wasn't around like as long as Kirk McLean was. But um, yeah, no, it's a good question. I'm not really sure. Going into our current goaltending situation, we got a young Thatcher Demko and we got a contract year Jacob Markstrom. How have you enjoyed watching the load management of these two guys so far this year? Uh, well, I think like Marky's story first off for the season with all his personal um, you know, troubles he's gone through off the ice as well and just really, you know, turned himself like he might we call him a late bloomer, but he's been really um, I would say consistent as, as a Canucks goaltender um, since Ryan Miller, I guess, uh, for about a year now. So, I mean, I, I like I have full faith in Markstrom as a starting goaltender for the Canucks, and I think he's going to be a good one for another, I don't know, say two or three years anyway. He doesn't look like he's going to like drop off. But then it really comes down to, you know, what the plans for the team are going forward, what they want to do in the expansion draft, what they want to do with their cap situation, and, Really, you know, this is Markstrom's one chance to get a big payday, and I wouldn't begrudge the guy for making sure that he can get as much term and as much money as he can because, you know, you're at that time. This is the whole point of doing the job, right? Yeah, you want to win, but you want to get paid as well, too. So, um, you know, I think it's going to be a tough negotiation. Uh, Hopefully they can get him signed. But um, I, I have full faith in either of those goaltenders to win a game on any given night. There's been a lot of positive chatter about Markstrom re-signing. I think he wants to stay, and I think the club is open to him staying, but I think you mentioned Seattle and, of course, the cap implications of Markstrom in a number one goalie once he gets some of these entry-level contracts off the books. It's going to make the cap situation in Vancouver really tight. If you're signing Markstrom, what do you see as an ideal range in value for him? Oof, ideal, with being fair to the player as well, too. Yeah, fair, fair to both. They both walk away happy, and the fans are happy. Like, what what do you just see right now, just kind of in your head? Is uh, Doug and I both have kind of numbers that we've thrown around, too, but what would make sense for you? I think that somewhere in the high fives over four years makes sense. So something like 5.7, 5.8 for uh, four years, that kind of makes sense to me. He could go higher, and I could see him get six. Uh, maybe even as much as six and a quarter. Uh, I think that that's reasonable. I don't think you want to do any more than four years. Um, there's been rumors recently of a two-year offer that they made him, which would be insane if they could only get him for two years. And I think that's the kind of situation where if they really want, if there's if they're open to that and being able to pay him extra for two years and say get up to seven and a half million dollars or something really really strong, then that just means that they need to make a move to move another contract off the books, but they could probably do it without um, needing to really sell the farm too much and then lock themselves up into years where they may not be sure whether Demko is going to be the guy or not. Yeah, I think you bring up a really good point. I mean, I really like Thatcher Demko, but he's already got a bit of uh, history with some concussion issues. So that obviously you have to be cognizant of. Uh, With Markstrom, I do think he would probably want more of a long-term deal than a shorter-term deal, even though he'd be making more money. And I also wonder if the Canucks are going to be backed into a corner because maybe a team like Edmonton that still hasn't really, you know, solidified their goaltending looks at Markstrom and they decide to back the Brinks truck to to sign him. So who knows what's going to happen with that? Do you think uh, Edmund, or Markstrom would be a good fit in Edmonton? Yeah, and I, and I mean, obviously, when you're talking about a divisional rival, that's where that becomes maybe even more pressing for the Canucks, where you're willing to pay slightly more so that you ensure that your direct competition doesn't improve, too, right? It reminds me a little bit of when Eddie Lack was moved to Carolina. There were rumors that both Calgary and Edmonton were interested in Lack, and maybe we're going to pay more than the third and the seventh that they paid for him. But for the Canucks at the time, it was like, you know what, we're going to ship him back east because that way at least it's not going to come back and bite us if we're wrong about this. So I kind of get that feeling where they don't, I don't think they're going to want to let Markstrom hit free agency. I think they're going to try and get that deal done. Um, and I think it'll probably be done before the trade deadline. Like, I don't think that they're going to drag this out any longer, and I think that they're just going to make that decision. But then that probably means if they do get Markstrom signed, then we have to be open to the idea that, 
Dr. Demko might be the guy that's moved in the offseason. Yeah, I think Demko, if if Markstrom signs a long-term deal, let's say five-plus years, I I definitely think Demko is probably more than likely on the way out. Uh, The other guy that comes to mind is Corey Schneider. I know there was lots of rumors that uh, Edmonton had a deal on the table that was, you know, better than what the Devils gave up to acquire Corey Schneider. Obviously, that trade is great for the Canucks now. You know, we got our captain and Bo Horvat in that deal. Um, but again, it was another situation, just like you said with the Eddie Lack situation, of the Canucks not wanting to have to face this guy four or five times a year, and they shipped him out east. Yeah, and I, and I think that that's something that they have to be really cognizant of. And, and if it winds up being a situation where they do get Markstrom signed and ultimately decide to... Uh, sell high on Thatcher Demko uh, while he's still young, he's still cheap, and he's healthy. Like you were saying, he does have concussion issues. They'll probably have to consider that as well, too, like that they are not going to move Demko to a divisional rival. So that really narrows the amount of teams that you might be able to deal with them. So maybe um, that winds up a situation where they don't get full value or not as much as you think you should be getting for them because ultimately they'd rather make the mistake in the other conference. Switching from the goalies to the club as a whole right now, we're, we're in early February. The team is not only in a playoff spot, they're leading the division. They're in the top of the conference with the Blues right now. And I think a lot of the Vancouver narrative is now starting to switch to playoffs instead of if we're making the playoffs. Do you see any glaring holes in this roster that you would like filled before the February 24th deadline? No, I think you can always improve it, but I don't. there's no glaring holes in this roster. Look, I mean... If you take it and you look at it objectively, you say they've got a 1A and a 1B goaltending. So goaltending solid. They've got a number one center, a number one left winger, a number one right winger. We know we've got a number two center. They've got center depth. They've got third line wingers coming out, like, out the wazoo. They've got a uh, power play offensive defenseman. They've got the stalwart, you know, Edler veteran defensive presence. You've got your shutdown guy in Tanev. Look, they've got pretty much everything that they need. Every, anything that they're going to do to this roster, I think, is going to be tinkering around the edges. So maybe they get a fourth liner. So if Jay Beagle gets injured or something like that, that they've got somebody to play there. And then if I look at where they need to improve this roster to take a huge step forward for next year or in the future, like if there's one thing I would target – it's still improving the defense. There's, I think there's still one defenseman away from being able to be a legitimately threatening team. Who that defenseman is going to be and you know how much they're going to cost to get and lock up and that kind of thing. But I would love to see a little bit more offense from the back end. Still, even though you've got Quinn Hughes, I would love to see somebody in that um, range who can still who can chip in and you know 30, 35 points on the back end and play on power play too because I'm worried that if one of those guys goes down there really isn't somebody who can step up and play the minutes and still produce I think there was thoughts when Tyler Myers was brought in that he could be a bit of that guy that 30-35 point defenseman and and kind of alleviate some of the pressure that was bound to fall on Quinn Hughes what have you thought of Tyler Myers game so far this year (laughs) as advertised (laughs) ups and downs uh, Tyler Myers is exactly what, what we thought he was going to be, which is that he looks really good on certain plays and he looks atrocious on other plays. Um, he's, uh, he's a guy who, look, he's a very toolsy player, that's what they say, right? He's, like, he actually has a very good active stick, but when he misses on a play, he screws up. His recovery ability is really not there, right? So it's, it, usually when it goes badly for Tyler Myers, it goes catastrophically badly, but... I'm giving him a pass on the offense. He didn't get a lot of offense in the first half of the season. Like, it was really slow. But, you know, you're coming to a new team, new coach, new system, new partners. But recently we started to see goals start to go in for him a little bit. He started to get a few more assists here and there. So I think that he is helping contribute on the offense. I think that really he's moving the puck pretty well. And, like, he makes a pretty good outlet pass. So I think that has resulted in more offense uh, for the team, even if he's not getting all the goals. But um, I think you still want to see more offensive um, production out of him. But, look, he's never going to be a top-pairing shutdown player that's just not in his DNA. They paid a lot of money for him. They gave him a bunch of years. Um, I think that ultimately he's not hurt the team. He certainly helped the team. Uh, It's just a question of 
you know, can he continue to do that for multiple years? I think that's still jury's still out on that one. And there's no question that the blue line this year has improved over the last couple of years, and Tyler Myers is a part of that. I do agree, though, that they're they're one piece, blue line piece away from being elite, and there are some kids in the system, and maybe we can have one of them get a bit of a stroke of gold here and, and make it with the big club, and maybe Yolevi or Rafferty is able to roll into that next year. But without tinkering with the team too much, I, I agree. I don't think they should do much. What do you think of the chemistry that this team has right now? Yeah, you know what? Probably the biggest X factor on this team. If you've watched sports long enough, you can tell when there are teams that are disjointed or are just clicking. This team is just clicking. For whatever reason, they've put personalities in place in roles and in that room. So I think you've got to give Travis Green a lot of credit for this and probably the management for finding these players and identifying them and, and giving them a good guidance, like a good system. But look, they all seem to really like each other. They seem to like playing for each other. I think they have confidence in each other. Um, and, you know, they, they, the word intangibles gets tossed around out there and it gets denigrated and sort of laughed at by a lot of people. But it's a legitimate thing. Culture is a legitimate thing in any endeavor, whether it's in, you know, in sports or in business or, you know, anything. If people are liking working with each other and for each other, then the sum is greater than the individual parts. And I think that's what you're seeing with this Canucks team. Um, because, let's be honest, most of their best players, with JT Miller and Jacob Markstrom aside, are really, really young. This is not their final form, right? Like, they are still getting better. But they like working with each other. There's no, doesn't seem like there's any infighting or jealousy or anything, which really, really bodes well, not just for the rest of the season and the playoffs, but just going forward that these guys seem to want to be on the same team together. Yeah, those are all great points. I mean, even a guy, and you brought him up, JT Miller, this is his first year on the club. Uh, and last year, Jake Vertanen was quoted of saying of how Miller's actually really kind of taken him under his wing and kind of helped him develop his game. And we're seeing these great steps from Vertanen this year that we haven't really seen the past couple of years. And you got guys like Brennan Sutter as well, who, you know, I've been wanting to drive his ass to the airport for the last couple of years, but this year I'm really seeing the fact that Sutter is being healthy. You know, you are seeing that he makes an impact on this team and the culture of this team. And quite often you're hearing players say that Sutter is one of the best guys in the room. He's funny to be around. And even Jay Beagle. And I think that's something the fans just look at, you know, the production that these players are giving you and the term that some of these guys are signed. And they're not, they don't realize that, hey, it is a very important thing to have a good culture in that dressing room. Um, and right now we're seeing that. And, uh, you know, moving on to Jake Vertanen, you know, what do you think has been the biggest improvement of his game this year? Number one, just moving his feet. Uh, like when Jake got in trouble in years past was just because he wasn't being an active skater. He wasn't driving hard for 50-50 pucks. He wasn't battling in the same way that he is this year. But the fact that he's just skating all the time now, because he's a really good skater, not just fast, but also strong on his skates, that I think that that's just putting him in places on the ice where he can make a bigger uh, like effect, and that's to turn over pucks, it's to, to extend plays in the offensive zone, uh, it's coming back to help the defense like as a five-man unit to check. I really just think it's all about his active skating. He, I, his shot's not any different. He hasn't learned how to pass. None, it's none of that. It's just the fact that he's involved in plays now because he actually is getting up and down the ice more frequently. Do you think that's a confidence thing? 100%. Yeah, uh, big time. And, and also just sort of like learning. I think with any of these athletes, you have to learn what it is that is your skill set, like what got you there. Um, what is it that you do exceptionally well to put yourself in the best 700 players in the world? And with Jake, people get drawn into his strength, but it's really not that. It's the fact that he's one of, if not the best skater on the team at forward, you know, aside from Hughes. He, he's, a fast, he's a fast skater, and, and the Canucks need that. They need more speed. Right? Like, it sucks that they've lost Tyler Mott because that takes away some speed on the bottom six, but this team hasn't been fast for a really, really long time. And I think so for just with Jake, he's just realized they finally got him to realize that if you work, 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 you're going to get your opportunities. 
Yeah, and it it definitely seems like power forwards for you know whatever reason, a la Todd Bertuzzi, and you know there's been a few other ones. They just seem it just seems to take them a little bit longer to kind of gather all their tools and figure out how to use their tools effectively. And we're seeing that with Jake right now. You know, we're seeing a kid who's finally starting to kind of you know get it grow into that potential that we you know the Canucks management team saw when they drafted him. And I I agree. I think his skating is definitely making more of an impact. And the other thing I think I'm noticing with Jake as well is that he's not rushing the play. He's taking an extra second to think about the play and think about, you know, how the play is developing where before he was just kind of like a bull and you just kind of skate forward and lose the puck. He had a little bit of Mason Raymond in him, I thought. Mm. He was probably, uh, you know, anytime you're a young player, any mistake you make gets amplified, right? Especially when the coach has been telling you, do this, do this, don't do that. And and really, I think, yeah, it comes down to a, a lot of confidence to be able to hold the play, to be able to make the play. And just even mentally, probably just to say, you know, I belong. Like, I belong here. I belong in a scoring role. I, I, I belong playing 15 minutes a night, not playing 10 minutes a night. Um, and just legitimately having the confidence that, yeah, no, you know, I'm not here just because I was drafted. I'm here now because I'm, because I'm a good player. What I would like to see with Vertanen is I'd like to see him put up the same sort of numbers he does on the first line down on the third line. We've had a bit of a, we're starting to form a top nine right now, but if we have a completely healthy lineup, let's say everyone's back, Levo's back, Furland, everyone's there. Who is your ideal third line right now? Man, that's a hard one because um, because we don't know what Furland is. But if Furland is the guy he used to be, then I think a Jake Gaudet and Furland third line with Roussel going down to the fourth is a pretty intimidating third line. I would love to see more consistency out of Gaudet offensively, but I've been watching him pretty closely just because it's like he's been putting up a ton of zeros recently, but he's still playing really well on the forecheck and really well defensively. So maybe that's just a matter of that needs to come around. But yeah, I think ideally I would go with like the two heavy wingers on the end. And so like, you can't really go wrong, right? Because if one guy gets injured or you drop somebody up or down, then you put Roussel in, that guy's a veteran. He plays a strong, fast game. You've got Lebo. He's got a good shot. He's got a good, like big body. I mean, honestly, the Canucks can't go wrong. One thing that I think that we know of that right now, unless everything changes, Jake is not an option for the fourth line, which was where a lot of people had him pencil coming into the season. But he's not that guy now. So we know that, um, you know, somebody's got to eventually bump Louis Erickson out of the second line role. Like, that has to happen, I think. But uh, so, like, eventually... Maybe that winds up being Jake, and then you wind up with like a, a Furland Roussel God that line. That would be ideal, I think. It is kind of exciting thinking that we could swap out Erickson and Schaller down the stretch for a healthy Levo and Furland, though, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, and, and this team still look, look. I mean, they called up two guys this week, and Bailey and McEwen are two guys that I think can probably contribute on the fourth line too. And we're not even talking about Berchi and Goldobin, right? Like that's—they're not even an option right now, but. If you went into, if they got into a deep, deep run and you start seeing the bodies drop, as it stands right now, they've got guys that can come up and play. You know, so we're not talking about the Magnus and Chapoos and that kind of stuff of the world, like they've Griffin Molino and that kind of stuff. There's, there's legitimate depth in the organization. So I think that bodes really well for the potential to um, be able to maintain a good playoff run if they you know, if they can get through a few. Yeah, and right now, I mean, the Western Conference, I mean, the one team I definitely wouldn't want to face in the first round if the Canucks end up making the playoffs is Vegas. But right now, I mean, in my opinion, I feel like the Western Conference is wide open. I mean, you know, depending on who the Canucks get matched up in the first round and even the second round, if you end up playing a team like Calgary or Edmonton, I mean, I like the, the Canucks' chances just as much as I would like Calgary or Edmonton's chances against the Canucks. Oh, big time. I'd say bring it on. Uh, I mean, like, obviously it'd be awesome to see a battle of Alberta in the first round, but if if whatever happens and they wind up playing one of Calgary or uh, Edmonton, I think the Canucks match up really well. Look, both of those teams have really good players. They're going to score on you. You're not going to shut down 
McDavid and Dreisaitl, you're not going to shut down Monahan and Kachuk. Like it's, it's, you're not going to be able to do that. But you can limit the chances so that they're not, um, you know, like if, if a series goes back and forth, one and one and one and one, and then eventually you get to a game seven, it's anybody's game, right? So anybody's series. So I like I I'm not worried about any of those matchups. To be perfectly honest, like as long as they can capture a top three spot in the Pacific, even Vegas they have holes this year. Now they're probably going to make a move. Like they're if you look at uh, McPhee and Brad McCrimmon, they're not guys that sit on their hands. They're going to make a move to improve that team. So that's they're probably I'm with you that they're probably the biggest concern for the Canucks in the Pacific, but. If you start talking about uh, the potential wild card matchups, if they were to win the division, then you're looking at, at these teams, and I'm not bothered by any of them. Like, like Coyotes, bring it on. No problem. Even if it winds up being Nashville, bring it on. Uh, I'm not like, yeah, I wouldn't want to play Colorado in the first round, and I probably wouldn't want to play the defending Stanley Cup champs in the first round. But uh, anyone in the Pacific, I think the Canucks match up well against any of them if they're healthy. And the Canucks are now six up on the Coyotes and for fourth in the division. And the Coyotes are a wild card team at the moment. So that you're building a bit of a cushion right there as well. Vegas, they, I, I agree they'll probably want to tinker with their lineup, but they, they're right up against the cap. The one thing that Vegas has going for it, though, they have five picks in the first three rounds of this draft. And they have four picks in the first two rounds of the next draft because they, they loaded up on all these picks back when they were doing all that wheeling and dealing and scamming teams left and right. So the Vegas, I, I think that that whole central division, that, that first round of the central, the two versus three, that's going to be a tough series over there. Whoever plays Colorado. Cause I think the blues are going to take that. And then you could have a battle of Alberta and then you got Vegas and, and the coyotes. there looking at wildcard teams right now. If the Canucks can take the division, I think that's going to be either one of those. It's going to be a pretty tough series. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And and uh, I thought that was an interesting point you make about Vegas acquiring the picks. And but and they have really leveraged themselves with like basically their whole top six is signed, um, and they paid significant money for Paul Stastny and that kind of thing. But you know they got Pacioretty, they got Stone, they got uh, Riley Smith, they got Marchessault, William Carlson. Like they're they're fine up front, and they did move like Eric Halla and, and a bunch of guys, Colin Miller, in the offseason just to try and get their cap down. Um, but they're, there's, they, they look like a team that's so well designed on paper if they're healthy that I think that they've got to go all in. And like they, there's no point for them just to sit back and just acquire picks and to, to let it run. I think they're a team, they look at the landscape as well as you and I can and look and say, like you say, the West is wide open, the Pacific is wide open. Um, they'd be kind of crazy not to do anything. The Canucks aren't there yet. The, that chance will come for the Canucks, but it's still probably a year or two away when they start making big deadline moves and that kind of stuff. And um, so, you know, you don't want to get into an arms race with a team like Vegas right now. Let them, you know, overpay for guys at the deadline, and and the Canucks should just build and and try and see if they can sneak out a series or two. Do you think Vegas feels like there's a bit more pressure on them this year because the NFL will be in Vegas next year and they want to kind of keep hold of that fan, that rabid fan base that they've built up? Yeah, how can they not, right? Like, you, you, Vegas never had a pro sports team for the longest time and now they're going to have two within three years. That's pretty crazy. And considering one of them is the NFL, that's the... I mean, they're the big boys on the block. Let's let's be honest about that. Mm-hmm. So I think that yeah, they I think that they've got to make sure that they're showing their fan base and the people who have gotten invested so early that you know it wasn't a miracle run, fluke, and now we're going to sink back to ten years of mediocrity. Look, they've got some of the best players in the league on their team. Um, they should continue to sell that and to pump it up. I think they've definitely got pressure. Leaf, this is a great chat. We're going to have to wrap this up here, but before we let you go, just any final thoughts from yourself before we, we have to get you off the air here? Um, just that I think that people should be uh, really, really happy with the way this season has gone. Um, and, you know, obviously things could go wrong. I just think that right now compared to where expectations were coming into the season, I think that everybody – has either met or exceeded their 
um, their expectations. The team looks good. The future looks bright. They've got tons of young, good young players coming, and hopefully a lot of them pan out. I just think this is we're heading into a time, and I've seen this team go up and down over the years. I think that they're heading into a really, really exciting time. And you know what? I don't know that we'll ever get the golden chalice, you know, the silver cup, but uh, I think that there's this team's going to have a legitimate chance. I think they're for real. Maybe not all the way there yet, but, but it's not going to take too long. I completely agree. I think people forget that the window is just opening right now. You look at these scores, our, our top eight scorers on the team, one of them, the oldest one is 27, and that's Tanner Pearson. And this team is young, and this is the start of their window, and I think they've got a great core around them and a lot of good prospects. Leaf, thanks for coming on, man. You can find Leaf on Twitter. That's at Leaf Rollin, L-E-A-F, Rollin, like the Stones, Leaf Rollin, like the player. Thanks again, man, and we'll chat soon. Oh, it's my pleasure, guys. Thank you. I'm honored. Yeah, thanks for coming on, man. We'll definitely have to get you on again in the future. Uh, anytime. And it's time for a free pour open floor, and let's just jump into it. Uh, I wanted to talk about Michael Furland uh, going down to Utica on a conditioning stint for a week. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that develops. Uh, you and I didn't really discuss it in our intro there, Pete. Um, yeah, I mean, hopefully Furland can kind of get his game back and stay healthy. I mean, that's all you really want is for the guy to be healthy. Um, so it'll be interesting to kind of keep tabs on Furland and how he does uh, with his week, in U- his week in Utica. Yeah, it will be interesting. We haven't really seen Furland, as we, we mentioned there with Leaf. It'll be interesting to see what he does. Uh, I want to touch on something that also kind of went a little bit under the radar, I think. But uh, about a week or so ago, the hockey writers put out the rankings of the prospect systems for the NHL teams. And the Canucks came in seventh. And I don't think that's any small feat, considering last year they were fourth. And you lose Quinn Hughes and Thatcher Demko from the prospect pool as they go to the big team. And even taking those two guys out, who are two of their top five prospects, the Canucks only fell three spots to number seven. They basically replenished that cupboard with Hoglander and Pod Colson. You've seen the strengthening of Madden. Uh, Ulevi's resurge. Jet Wu is having a strong season. Uh, you got some other kids, of course, Brogan Rafferty and, and uh, other guys playing over in Europe. And I mean, there's just, we could go on and on about it, but it's just really impressive the depth that the team has in the prospect pool right now as well yeah i mean a guy like even carson Fock, i think is actually playing really well for the calgary hitman yeah. and he was a later pick and i don't aiden think mcdonough aiden mcdonough exactly so you know there's a few guys that i think the canucks fans got you know should still kind of be excited about that were late round picks that aren't the big names like pod colson and hoglander yeah depth is important picks are important Thanks for tuning in to episode 24, folks. And I got to say, Doug, I was surprised with your free pour that you didn't talk about the Super Bowl. We didn't talk about the Super Bowl. No, uh, I guess that was kind of an oversight. Um, But yeah, it was a great game, I thought. I know some people didn't think it was a good game. I thought it was. Uh, Anytime a team makes a dramatic comeback like the Chiefs did, I think it's always, you know, for... It always it always ends up being a drama filled game and uh, congratulations to Andy Reid and Kansas City uh, for winning the Super Bowl. Uh, that's exactly the team I was hoping was going to win. Uh, I don't think the 49ers played that bad of a game. I just think you got a guy like Patrick Mahomes who's probably the new face of the NFL, and uh, I thought he uh, he showed everybody why he's probably the best player in the league right now. Yeah, good game for sure. Um, good halftime show as well. I know we were down at the local down there in Kits, and uh, the whole room was right into it there. Everyone yeah. was hooting and hollering and all the hip shaking. It was pretty funny. There was a couple of times you and I both were like, oh, I didn't know Shakira sang this song. Or, oh, J-Lo <laughs> sings this song? I didn't know that. And then a bunch of whoever's came up on stage there as well. I don't know who half those people were. But yeah, fun game. Um, and the Stanley Cup and the Super Bowl are now residing in the great state of Missouri. Oh, yeah. Actually, I forgot about that. Yeah, I guess... Uh, they're the the new uh, champions, state champions. I know Boston was kind of holding that down for a few years there, in Massachusetts, I guess. Um, but yeah, congratulations to the Kansas City Chiefs. And you know, I know the NFL, like all sports, has their warts. But 
you know, again, another amazing season. I'm probably a little bit biased towards that considering I won our fantasy championship. But uh, yeah, it was really good. Yeah, I'm just glad the Pats weren't in there. So <laughs> there we go. Hey, they still made an appearance. That's true, but they weren't no Super Bowl. Uh, thanks again to Leaf Rolin for joining us. You can find him on Twitter at Leaf Rolin. You can find the podcast at Canucks Speak. You can find me at Pete underscore Gas. Uh, give me a follow at Doug Venn. And like I said at the beginning, give our Spotify playlist a follow. Uh, it's the Canucks outro, speakeasy outro music. Uh, this track is already added to the playlist. So again, if you like this track, Go check out our playlist. And hey, Mike, I hope you're okay. Yeah, Mike, uh, that's a shame, but we'll get you on. We'll, we'll rebook you in here in the next couple weeks, man. So, uh, Mike, look after yourself. Protect your neck. And then I guess next week it's uh, Sedine week. Yeah, man. We got, uh, geez, next week is going to be a fun one. Uh, we're going to have a couple of guests. It's going to be lots to talk about. And uh, yeah, watch this space. We'll be doing something for the Sedines. Awesome. Uh, episode 24. That's a wrap. Hasta luego.